Okay, so we will move on to the second talk of this morning uh, session that's going to deal with a very important uh, area of stem cell research and stem cell uh, and tissue and engineering. And uh, the second uh, speaker, Dr. Coy, who's Professor of chem Chemical Engineering and Director of the Oxford Center of Tissue Engineering and Bioprocessing, is working and I think we'll be talking today about uh, developing tools, uh, three-dimensional tools in particular, to support the maintenance and, and expansion of stem cells, but also uh, developing, uh, I think, structures to try to develop specific tissues, uh, to develop specific tissues on. And as we were discussing a little bit after the previous talk, this is a ma major challenge, both for basically maintaining and controlling stem cells, but also for developing the tissues. It is a main, major goal, I think, to do a lot of this outside of the body, and it also is a major challenge to try to develop the structures that can support this. And I think this is what the next speaker will be talking to us about. Welcome. Thank you, Chairman. And uh, thanks to Charles and the organizers who invited me to come here to talking to you and uh, but why I'm here I'm an engineer I'm a chemical engineer and uh, what we do engineers you would say you're just plumbers electricians okay so basically we, we well in a sense true we solve problems we're pro problem solvers so here I want to talk to you what we can contribute as engineers to solve even bigger problems and in, in a sense, we're actually supporting people. On one side, we support stem cell biologists. We provide the tools to support their research. And on the other hand, we actually support the clinicians. Okay? Great scientists said, look, we have these stem cells. We can cure Parkinson's disease, can do diabetes, and can regenerate the liver or heart. And I will give you some reality check. So it will not happen tomorrow. Because actually, we are the one actually have to make this happen, right? You have people, you, you see, biologists is hypothesis driven, scientists hypothesis driven. They actually said we have a hypothesis, we prove that. We said this cell can turn into stem cell under these conditions. And this experiment, there is one color change or one spark, and you get a paper in nature or cell or, or science. And they don't tell you why the 99% of other cells did not change. Right? And the engineering, engineers, we are actually problem solving, driven. Yes, tell us a problem, we try to find the solutions. Then we can do plumbing, we can also do reprogram cells. So that's why I'm here. Right, we all want to live in longer, not just longer, and also stronger and smarter. Right? We want to have longer and quality of life. So if you look at the, actually what engi the engineering and technology contribution, actually it's very important. You only see the, we only go to see the GPs, the doctors. Actually, we, usually we don't see what's behind that. Right? So one is, if you can prevent a disease, great. Right? So that's, a lot of technology can help that. And the many diseases, if, you can, if we can diagnose them earlier, it's not a big issue. Even some cancers, you can cure that. And then if we find disease, we actually, we have super drug, we can do actually efficient drug delivery, 
And that's, of course, you can actually, you see, cancer, like chemotherapy, there's no side effect, you just kill the cancer cells, great. Then all, when all this fails, of course, we try to regenerate. So that's why we're actually here. So when we see regenerative medicine, our medical technology, I will emphasize technology, because I'm not a medical doctor, and we want to promote regeneration of cells and tissue or eventually organ, right? And then it's just we can prevent the cure as part of that. The main thing is that we want to repair and replace the disease the tissue. And what, how we can do that, so you can introduce certain genes, use gene therapy, our cell therapy, just use cells, or you can use functional biomaterials. Okay, interest functional biomaterials can do the trick sometimes. But this discussion here, we want to focus on the last two, and the relatively hot topic reason, you see, as Sir Richard said, a lot of them, it's that, not that new. But you have people who say, yeah, this is new, we have new discovery, but many of the practice has been fair for hundreds of years. But now we want to actually just from randomize the individual cases. We want to develop them into an industry or into a common practice. So only when come kind of interest, industrialize the process, standardize the process, then most, you can benefit most people. Otherwise, it's just one by one. Right, so this is actually the concept of tissue engineering. Now, if you actually, if we, if an individual patient, either due to disease or due to trauma, due to accident, you lost some tissue, and now you actually can do a, a, a medical imaging, you can do a scan. If and what type of, sh what shape of that tissue you want, and that three-dimensional structure can put into a computer, the computer can drive inkjet printing technology, so-called prototype processing, is just like a inkjet printing. We're not printing ink, we're printing like polymers or functional materials to build up this three-dimensional structure here. And then we can put the functional cells in it. Of course, the idea, one of the you see, hot topic now is to use stem cells, because most of the tissue is multicellular. So if you can use stem cells, you can create a tissue with multiple cell type. And then we culture that outside the body. That means in the lab or in industry setting. And after some time, we have to keep them happy, give them growth factors. And then, then after some time, so the cells will form part of the tissue. The cells will make their own extracellular matrix. And then the polymer, the original scaffold, start to degrade. After a certain time, you said, okay, it's ready to put in the body. So this is one-to-one -one basis. So that's the idea is very simple. So we need the cells, we need the scaffold. But the argument is actually, when we put this, when, how long we need to grow outside the body? Okay, do we really want to grow into a, looks like a tissue, functional like tissue, everything is exactly the, has a functions and the shape or mechanical properties, put it back? Or are we just halfway, halfway through we can put in the body and let the body do the trick? because this tissue needed to fit into that body environment after all. And then, of course, you said, there is plenty of cells in the body. Why you need to put, why you need to put the external cells? Why you need cells? Because there is plenty of cells in the body, so you just put in the scaffold. So that's the approach to put the functional biomaterials. And the other argument is that if you have cells, the cells will make extracellular matrix. 
then you don't need a scaffold. So you just put cells in, so that gives you the stem cell therapy. There's a cell therapy, you just put the cells. So this concept, of course, the tissue engineering concept, has been proven. You can buy products where we have, we can buy products, commercial products, the skin. Okay, there are three skin products you can buy commercially. And uh, complete, more complicated one, we have another example afterwards, this talk. So this concept is proven. But why we can only buy skin? It's a big market, actually the big need is tissue transplant, uh, shortage of tissue and organ. And for tissue, let's say, the, for the bypass operation, heart bypass, you need the blood vessels. That's actually one of the bigger market. And the bone, and the cartilage. You see, you've got the arthritis, and you need to replace the cartilage. But so far, after, you see, the first products approved in 1999, as a skin products. So now it's 15 years, well, what, 10 years. And then there's still only one pro, uh, skin products. Because there is a lot of issues, it's not that simple. So we have talking about the cells, okay, what type of cells, and how to process a scaffold, what scaffold to use, okay? So, and then you have how to grow this tissue. Grow one is one thing, grow, grow 1,000 pieces of a week is a different problem, right? And then this is about scale up and the scale out. And skill up is produced a lot. And the skill out is provide individual, is hospital-based tissue engineering. Because you see, short term, maybe we have to individually make, you can't make products fit all, and you individually make for individual patients. Then you need the devices, you need the instruments, you need the machines. What type of device you use to do that? And then we talk, preservation is very important. Okay, growth skin, com the, com the, 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 com the commercially available skin products, it takes three weeks to grow. For cartilage, it's grow five, you need five weeks. Right, if you have a poor guy running a motorcycle accident, get a accident, and need a bone, need a piece of bone, you can't let him wait for five weeks. So that's actually the issue of the, of the shell availability. So you need to get like a real, truly spare parts. But this, will, if you want to get this kind of mass-produced products, then you run into the issue of immunoacceptance. If somebody doing a heart transplant, kidney transplant, then that's critical. Then they can take the immunosuppression drug for the life. But if, if I just replace a piece of finger, you let me to take this drug for life. That's not on. So that's why you see this has to be sold out. And then you see all this, so you have to get it, you see, this is actually this circle on and on. And when all met all the requirements, you can have a product. So that's actually why it's not, it's easy to be said. You need the sales, you need scaffold. But when you put it into practice, it's far more complicated. And then this leads to stem cells, because we need the cells. And then, you see, I don't need to say too much here. So we, have, we can have embryonic stem cells, we can have adult stem cells, we can get stem cells from blood, uh, cold blood, and we can get, now we can have this reprogramming uh, way to making cells, to get stem cells. So stem cell therapy is a very hot topic, you see. 
Okay, so if you put a stem cell therapy, go to this scientific database like Scopus. So every year at the moment, we publish about 8,000 scientific papers. This is actually the green one, that's the blue one. This is about scientific publications. But you can see a lot of people realize this is a great potential, also commercially. You can look at the patent numbers, file the patent numbers is here. It is about double of that size of scientific papers. You just put a stem cell therapy, that's the outcome. Okay? You can see the market because you see when we all know important and then these people, engineers, technologists also feel important. And uh, also if you put a Google, you put a stem cell therapy and come back 165 million hits. Just in point point one second. So it's a very top hot topic. But I'll give you another reality check. Now we have the stem cells, it doesn't matter where they come from. And then they showed the potential to use into clinical therapy. Then this is actually all these issues we have to address. It's easy to say a piece of paper, you write a scientific paper, so this can, used, can be used to do what? But, okay, we got the cells, we have to, you see, we talked about the purification. Usually you don't get pure uh, cells, you always have a mixture. If you have surface antigen, uh, surface markers, you can, through a flow cytometer, get the cell sorting. Oh, that's possible. But a lot of them, you may not have it. Okay? And then, you see, you have to find the ways, neural ways, to purify them. So we have to look at the stem cells at a different stage. The stem cell state, differentiated stage, then you want to set, separate them, sort them out. And then we want to grow them, expansion, because I think Sir Richard gave a good example for if from uh, umbilical cord blood, you see at the moment you can do one piece of, one sample, you can treat one child, no problem, because the, the transplant, the quantity of the cells required is directly related to the, it decided about the body weight. And for adults, usually is, is still not sufficient. Right? It may be possible. But what you really want is you have this the blood cell or stem cells, you expand that. You can treat a thousand of matching people, patient. So then, of course, there's various issues here. And then, maybe not a good idea to implant stem cells. Maybe you want to differentiate that outside to the stage. Then you have to control them. And then we talk about preservation. How can you have banking? Okay, so we can, so a lot of the, even Sir Richard Benson started this business to banking called blood stem cells. Yeah, and then, but when you're frozen there, do we know after 20 years they are still functional, they still have the cells, all the function there? And uh, transport and delivery, how can put the stem cells in the body? You said, fine, I just put a needle, just inject that. Probably there's a much better way to do that. Okay, and the stem cells, you see this homing issue, right? You probably, we all watch news, they treat, use stem cells to treat the heart infarct. And when the heart is beeping, you inject the stem cell solution into there, so the next bit, squeeze all the solution out to form a little fountain come out. So, oh, you don't know where the stem cells end up, how much left, right? And so this is all need technology 
to decide, you see, to, to overcome these issues, and also to monitor, you see, where the stem cell end up. And after all this then, all this meet, all the regulatory issues, the clinical trials, you can do a therapy. So this is why it's a lot of these practical issues need to be solved. So that's actually the key message. I just the message, my message so far is finished. That's a key message. But the rest is just to give you some examples. Right? I just gave a few examples to what we're doing. For example, how to optimize the stem cell culture. Stem cells, they can differentiate, they can change. They can renew, they can differentiate. And they all depend on the what conditions they are, or their, their, their local environment. All right? The local environment includes what type of cultural medium. We all use some growth factors. And then it's oxygen. You see people, you can, you can culture this in hypoxia. And also salts. And a lot of this about talking about the niche, about the three-dimensional environment. Okay? So then this, and also the effect of other cells, core culture. If we know, if we know, what is the, if the cells, if the scientists have told us, okay, this is the conditions, if you do this, you can create these stem cells, either promote renewal, expansion, or to control direct differentiation. Then we can make that as a reality. But the problem is quite often, the stem cell is still, the research is still quite in the early stage, a lot of this is still try and error. So if we're looking at, we want to optimize that, we want to find out what's the best condition to culture stem cells, then if you look at the, what you do now, what we do in lab, we actually grow cells in this kind of petri dish, plate, multi-well plate, or you can use robotics to do that, and, the way we, and also this tissue flux. You put the cells there, and you put the culture medium there, and then they, they stay there, they grow. A couple of days later, or depends on how hungry they are, you come back to remove the spent medium, adding new medium. And to a stage, you have to take the cells out, use biochemical way, like use so-called trypsin, and they use enzymes, take the cells out, you divide them into more these kind of wells or more bottles, then they grow. Right? And then you try to, so, so if you're looking at, because we, the cells are very sensitive to the local environment. But during this culture, like this kind of odd conditions, the cell condition change because they consume nutrients. They make metabolic waste. So their condition change. So how can you optimize it when it's changing? So it's really, this is actually, as, 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 as uh, Sir Richard said, actually the, the way we grow cells is very different from the cell in local environment in the body. Because this is actually cells like even in the skin, in the liver, in the bone. You look at the cells, they are all in the three-dimensional environment under constant perfusion because we've got blood circula circulation system. The cell local environment relatively steady, steady and they are in three-dimensional environment. So this is what we do. So something missing here. And now there's more and more people realize it's three-dimensional culture and also under perfusion steady state and is important. So that's why we actually said the, one of the messages we keep telling people, grow cells in 3D and the perfusion would be better. But they said, how we do it? We don't want a 50,000 pounds machine to do that. So we need some new tools 
because this culture cell culture plate has been there for 50, 100 years, and it's very cheap to buy, and you want to us to change the practice, then you have to give us new tools. So this is actually one thing. We developed the microbioreactor, and this is actually the size of this. is about the same, same size as the 96 well plate that wells. And then we can use different pump, just the pumping the fluids through. And we can apply microfabricated so-called micropumps. You don't need this mechanical pump, so you can make it really cheap as well. So then you can grow cells in three-dimensional environment and also uh, under perfusion. So you can actually select, you can group them together to feed different medium with different conditions. You, can, you can do this parallel testing. Then the system is transparent. You can directly observe or do optical assays. So this is actually the data. So if you got the perfusion, then the relative state, this is just a pH, because a lot of cells are very sensitive to pH, this acidity. And then if you don't, if you use conventional culture, of course cells will make lactic acid, the pH will drop. And then when you change the medium, you're actually going back. So it's actually quite a big swing. That's just an example. And it matters to the cell function? Yes, it is. So this is an example for human bone marrow stem cells. If you grow three-dimensional in metrogel and polylactic acid uh, fibers, and this is actually, we put a particular drug, chemical drug, and to see how they respond. So this is actually the monolayer conventional culture, and this is actually the in the new system. Basically, it shows the cells will respond very differently, and we believe they are more physiological. That's one question. I think move to the next one is how can we grow a lot of stem cells? Okay? So, and then we have to, it's not just numbers, it's also qualities. Okay? It has to be stem cells, it has to be the right type with the right condition. You have a biopsy, you've got thousands or ten thousand cells. Then, for a single dose of treatment of cell therapy, you need about 100 million or a billion if you do a reconstruction of uh, a piece of tendon or a piece of muscle, for example, then that's about 100 million, a billion cells you need. How we get there? Right, so the, the, at the moment, what you do is do these passages. You just grow on the bottles. So each bottle can give how much? 10 million cells or something? Ten, about 10 million and up, 10 million. And then you grow a lot of the bottles. And this is the current model for genzymes to, to do the repairment of a cartilage, use the chondrocytes. So you take a biopsy from the patient, take away to the company, they actually grow on these bottles, many bottles, and then they change the medium, of, of course, you change the medium now and then, uh, and then after you get a sufficient number of cells, get a bottle, send it back to the clinic. Right. You said this, this you, as, we say, as I said, is this condition change. But another thing, you need a lot of operation, operators of time, people intervention. Every time you've got people need to change the medium, you introduce human error, you introduce risk of contamination. So this is why, you see, we need better machines, better instruments to do that. Actually, there's various, so we call bioreactors. You can effect, efficiently grow cells. So for example, this type of hollow fiber membrane bioreactors, this is actually used to make people make a small quantity of monoclonal antibodies. And uh, you, 
it might be possible to use this type of uh, devices to efficiently grow, expand the cells. Then you don't need a passage, passage. You just seed your cells, and later you just harvest your cells if we know how to control the environment. And then this is so-called stirred tank reactors. Basically, you can have three liters. You can even go to tons of this size. So you could put your cells stuck to microcarriers, and then this puts them into these type of devices. So it's all automated without human intervention. And you can buy this type of so-called uh, rotational vessel bioreactors, various variations. Basically, the cells will moving around the inside in a dynamic environment, and the constant feed, constant actually removes the waste. So you can get a so-called chemistat, chemistat, the steady-state condition. So we used this to grow like uh, various cells. For example, we, this is actually to expand the blood stem cells from cold blood. And uh, so this is, if you use conventional flask, this is actually the number, this is uh, over a week. And then you, in this kind of reactors, you can expand it to 400 uh, fold. And then we do various known assays to see they are still kind of stem cells. But then nobody has ever put this in the human body. Right? So that's there's a very safety issues, assay issues. Okay, that's another problem. I said I just demonstrate just illustrate a few problems. Another one is the cryopreservation, is how to bank the cells. So some cases you don't need to. If it's hospital-based autogalous cell therapy, you just take the cells from the patient, and then you can actually uh, expand that, do the processing, and then later put it back. But sometimes it's inevitable, right? So you have to, there's a gap, time gap, and then you need to freeze them. So for, this is actually for two issues. Now, it's actually, one is how to freeze them. Is actually, we have to use cryoprotectant because otherwise, if you don't protect the cells, when you freeze them, they all die. So we need to use new cryo, uh, but we really need well-defined animal products free. That's a key issue, okay? Because we don't, so now people, you see, we're not allowed to use serum because there's a Bowen serum, because worry about the CJ, uh, worry about the, uh, the medical disease virus. And then we need to provide devices. And then how to shape, how to move in cells from one place to another. Okay? And then we all need a new technology. So the process of crop preservation is a, is a stepwise, sequential process. So you have to select a cryoprotectant agent, and then you have put that into the cells, basically loaded with cells, and to get some get into the cells, some don't. And then we can freeze them, and then either to minus 80 degrees, or better put in the liquid nitrogen. And this freezing rate is very important. If freezing too fast, they die. If freezing too slow, they die. Right? And then you put in storage. Before use, you have to thaw the frozen cells. It's a reverse process. If you don't do it properly, they also die. Right? And then you have to remove the chemicals. Quite often, you don't want the chemicals into the body. So each step puts stress to the cells. And if you don't do it right, any of the steps can completely kill the cells. So, if you, so for, the, 
for a lot of like mesic camel stem cells, bone marrow stem cells, and then usually the cell survival is not an issue. Usually you can get 70% survival easily. So the issue is get away, oh sorry, get away from serum, get away from the animal products, and then also you want to reduce the use uh, concentration of DMSO, because there, there are some arguments whether DMSO can cause gene mutation. And then, but for human embryonic stem cells, it has been a major issue how to keep them alive, right? So for many, for quite some time, those people just use standard 10% DMSO, the survival rate or colony formation is only about less than, usually less than 5%. So most of them, when you do the change from one plate to another, when you freeze them, they don't form colonies anymore. And then you have this paper, people put, you put a rock in habitat, you can get, in, during the culture, you can get a 30% survival. So now with our improved formula, and we now can get 60 to 80% of survival. So that's actually, it's a, it's a, it's a quite an important issue. Right, now I move to another issue about the growing tissue, okay? So this is the first two products, commercial products, you actually can buy 500 US dollars per piece about this, skin, and this is used for, for treated diabetic ulcers, okay? They are not, actually not for treated burn, because the, the main market for skin is burn, but this is actually true for treated ulcers. So this is actually the first two products, and uh, then so far, this is 1999, the first two products are launched, and of course both companies bankrupt after that, uh, but some other company bought them, so they are still making this. And, uh, so the only the very thin layer of tissue is so far engineered. We talked about this bladder, for example, is also thin layer. It's no blood vessels at the moment. But a lot of tissues, we need the blood vessels. We need the bulky tissue, right? If a woman gets actually a breast cancer, take away, you want to actually fill that gap, you need a bulky tissue. How you create that? So this is actually an issue, how to grow three-dimensional issue, a tissue. The issue is actually nutrient support or supply. Because you've got a thin layer of tissue, the nutrients can diffuse both sides to feed the cells. If you've got a three-dimensional tissue, a bigger one, and then you have to create this blood vessel system. And that's what we have, then you feed the cells inside. But the biological way, of course, to form these blood vessels called angiogenesis. And there's various issues, mainly related to safety, because you can put these growth factors, magic proteins, into the system, and the blood vessels form. But a lot of these growth factors is actually extracted from tumor, because tumor's magic ability is to create a blood vessel network, keep feeding itself. So this biological safety is always a problem. So what do we do before we can overcome that? So we actually can use uh, hollow fiber membranes. We make artificial capillary like this, to mimic this, we put it into the scaffold. Then, yeah, so we actually keep feed the cells inside through this bio-artificial network. So we can put this hollow fiber membranes, basically it's like a thin wire, but hollow, and the wall is porous. So you're pumping the nutrients inside, the nutrients can come out, waste can get in come and so get out. 
So this can actually overcome the problem of nutrient supply. Okay, so we can grow three-dimensional tissue, and, uh, but the difficulty we have, because we want this membrane biodegradable, and we don't know how fast we want them to degrade. Because it's actually related to, we're looking for real applications. If you say that we want this network to disappear in two months, or we want it to disappear in three weeks, then we can tailor the material to make that happen. So at the moment, we can actually grow, we thought we can put a beef, we can grow beef, three-dimensional beef. So if the astronauts in future want to have a stake in space, they can take some cells there growing in the space. And then you see this is actually the device, so we are mainly, our mainly focus for this technology is to grow bone, actually. Yes, beef is a joke, but it is actually to grow bone, because that's actually the bigger market. I, the other thing, the last, uh, technology, the last technical side that I want to talk about is how we're monitoring the stem cells. Okay, so how do we know the stem cells, they are still functioning, they are still stem cells, you see, without taking them out, go staining them, put some various tag, and then do the processing. So we like to look into the functional imaging of stem cells. So in our lab, we have a so-called multi-photon microscopy, a microscope. This is take three-dimensional image. Okay, so it's not just a two-dimensional image. You can get a three-dimensional imaging. And then you can get, I tell you the resolution, is 325 nanometers. So it is 0.3 microns. So one micron is 0.001 millimeters. So it's very small. So we have this microscope, we actually can get three-dimensional imaging. i show you some examples. I hope they are working. Now, this one actually rotates. You can't see it. I can't see it. You probably don't can't see it. Huh? It's basically, this is a collagen scaffold. We actually grow this uh, human bone marrow stem cells actually in collagen scaffold in 3D. So this is, uh, we can separate different colors. We can just, uh, just looking at the scaffold, we don't just ignore the cells. So this one, we just ignore the scaffold, just looking at the cells. And this, two, this one, we actually put them together. So you can look at the cells and uh, under the scaffold in this one, three-dimensional image. And then this is uh, another one. You're looking at the cells growing in metrigel, and it says after certain cultures, they are not a little round, because when the cells you first put into the scaffold, and they are just around like the little balloons. After a few days, they all change shape, they try to make contact with each other, and they grow and they differentiate. <clears throat> we can actually, Looking into the cell morphology, how the cell change. You can pick up a cell, see how they change. So this is at the beginning. So day one, day two, three, four, five. So you can actually, because you take this three-dimensional image, then you can do image analysis after that. So you can, so you said, why? Why you do that? So with, we are looking, basically we are just like a fishing. We are looking for different ways to identify stem cell differentiation. So we, want, we ask ourselves, why does the cell morphology or cell shape could be an indicator? So at the moment, I can't answer the question, but this is why we're doing it. <clears throat> now, this is because we can get the, all the functions. This is actually, and the life imaging, all right? So this is actually, so mouse embryonic stem cells, green cells from Sir Richard's lab. 
and uh, we grow them into form embryonic bodies. So this is a lump of cells, and they are green, and they make a collagen. This is a day one, you can see they start to make collagen, because collagen got this magic uh, property called the second harmonic. You just put a laser in, and they're bouncing back a light with half of that wavelength. You don't need a staining. So that's we can we can look at the collagen. So this is we can say this is a collagen. So this is day one, this is day two, and they make a lot of more. By day four, it's a lot of more, and day six, and twelve. Okay. So this is all actually in life culture, and you don't need to kill the cells. You just say just observe that get this kind of image. So we hope. We, well, we're trying to actually, through this type of non-contact, non-invasive uh, techniques, we can get some indication of the stem cell function. So we're not getting there yet, but this is actually what we are trying to do. And so this is another one. Because the resolution is so high, you actually can see, focus on one single cell. Now, this is one cell. This is a Bowen bone marrow stem cell. And then this is one cell. This is nucleus, and then we put this fluorescence dye called acrid in orange. It's indicated pH. So if it's red color, it shows the pH is below seven. So you actually can look at what's happened inside the cell. So you see a little things moving around. And uh, so this is actually, if we challenge the cells with some drugs, with growth factors, we actually can see, observe what's going on inside the cell. Right, I'm trying to finish this. I will give you a story of penicillin. We all well know. Of course, penicillin now is actually a big, it's, it's nothing magic anymore. But you look at the, this penicillin story. So this is actually 1938, first discovered penicillin. And then this is the three Oxford guys in Down School, how to purify the first dose of penicillin. Okay, penicillin says, this is a great thing, let's do it. So the, and then this is what happened in Merck lab, in the in laboratory of Merck, 1943. This is like a pilot plant. At that time, nobody knows how to grow, grow this micro, uh, fungi to make a large quantity of penicillin. So Merck put one microbiologist with one engineer together, team them together, make many teams, say, go away, get a crack on this. So this is what they, they've been doing in the lab. And the try and error, by pure luck, they get the breakthrough. By 1945, you have large-scale large production of penicillin. This is actually treated thousands of casualties during the war. And then nowadays, you see the fermenter is 30, 30 tons. And the penicillin is it's just a bulk of chemicals. So 70% 70, 70 of penicillin antibiotics made in China. The other 30% made in India. So Companies like GSK just buy this big bulk, like a bulk of chemicals, and do the decoration and the sale bike a thousand times more. Right? So this is actually, if you think about, this is actually the penicillin story. So we ask ourselves, we all know the great potential of stem cells and where we are now. Well, we can debate that. I think I will finish that. I'm the one standing here to talk, and this is my group. They are, they are the ones who did the work, and the people gave us money. Thank you.